This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, and artistic administrator and principal second violin, Merwin Sue. And we also have the Toledo Symphony's music director, Alain Trudeau, with us today. Welcome, all three of you. Thank Hello. you. So our subject today is Dvorak and his New World Symphony, which is also the subject of the Toledo Symphony's concerts this weekend at the Peristyle. Also on that concert is star violinist Rachel Barton Pine performing that Brahms concerto actually on a violin that was selected by Brahms. It's a wonderful story. That's Friday night and Saturday night at 8 o'clock p.m. More information at ToledoSymphony.com or call up the box office 419-246-8000. So, the New World Symphony, the New World, of course, being the United States. This is music that Dvorak wrote in the 1890s when he came to the U.S. Who wants to kind of tell a little bit of the story behind this symphony? Okay, so I guess I guess I'm on. <laughs> You've been nominated, Elaine. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, um, so some of you might know, or some of you might not know, that uh, Dvorak was, of course, a very big star in Europe at the end of the 19th century, and was hired uh, to start a, a conservatory here in America. Uh, in uh, I think 1892, he came for three years. He lasted three years. He was homesick, <laughs> very homesick. Uh, I think he he liked it here, but he was you know homesick and wanted to go back to his family. We're hoping the same thing doesn't happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it will be fine. Okay. Okay. So, but uh, almost upon his arrival, uh, Dvorak um, took a lot of his inspiration in his own music. Uh, from the culture and from the folk culture and the folk music from his country. So uh, naturally, when he arrived here, he said, okay, I'm looking for what's the folk music here so that I can be inspired to write something that would be actually tr truly American. And it's, it's interesting that uh, he wanted to write a truly American written, a symphony written by a Czech composer, right? Yeah. So yeah. that was it. And, uh, he went through the, uh, to the root of it. And that's why you hear a lot of uh, what we call pentatonic music in this. So mm -hmm. it's the five notes. Da, 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 dee, da, 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 da. Like, you know, those old, um, uh, Indian American like uh, flutes that that oh, people yeah, would play. Right. It's interesting you mentioned that because that scale shows up in so many places in folk music throughout the world. True, really, it's something that we hear uh, all the time in folk music, and we'll talk about that as well as we move on. But here is your uh, trivia for the day. Uh, did you know that the New World Symphony uh, actually was taken to the moon by Neil Armstrong mm -hmm. back in 1969? So it was the first uh, classical symphony to make its way to the moon. And if you go to, to YouTube, it's interesting because a, a lot of people have taken that New World Symphony and paired it with um, movie footage of the moon landing. But we're not going to have any uh, moon videos <laughs> at this concert. We are doing the planets in a few months. So yeah. we probably need to save our interplanetary footage for that. Right. This just underscores the fact that classical music is out of this world. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Why am I the only one who triggers the soundboard? <laughs> Had to bring it in. Um, and I have another sound that I'm going to play a little bit later, which relates to Dvorak. But, but we'll, we'll wait a minute and come back to that. So this uh, kind of inspires this whole conversation of what makes American music. We've got Alain Trudel, who is uh, Canadian. So you're kind of looking from the outside in mm -hmm. at us. And I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. We have some musical cues here that we're going to listen to, but Merwin, well, let's start with you because you chose Steve Reich, mm -hmm. one of the um, 
founders of minimalism back in the 1960s with Terry Riley and mm -hmm. other composers like that. So you chose different trains, right? I did. I felt one of the things that's very interesting about different trains is it's not solely an American piece. Um, there are movements that combine references to the United States with movements that refer directly to seminal events in European history, in this case, the Holocaust. And I thought that, especially when we're discussing kind of American classical music, I felt it was appropriate that there was something that combined um, references to the United States with references to the European tradition, because I do think that the American classical tradition does have s significant roots in that European art tradition. But then, I mean, even the idea of a string quartet, that's an extremely European-centered yeah. um, sort of art form. But then when you hear the sounds that Steve Reich de generates, it's simply something that it's entirely... It's entirely new world for me. I mean, this, to me, it sounds quintessentially American. Let's listen to just a little bit of it. This is the uh, Kronos Quartet. It definitely sounds like a train <laughs> there. Yeah, Some absolutely. word painting going on. One of the things that I find that makes me feel that a piece is American is that there is a sense of space, a sense of significant distance traveled. And I think um, there were a few pieces I considered. Michael Doherty's Route 66 was a piece I considered. Yeah. Um, that was some, you know, and I definitely wanted to think of a piece that in some way felt cross-cultural. It wasn't just reflecting one particular culture. Um, I wasn't able to find the perfect piece that reflected the cultural diversity that is such a hallmark of the United States. But this, I felt, at least touched on that. So it it. it it was a. It was quite a tough assignment to try to think of a piece, and I. Yeah. And I did at least take the original assignment seriously of trying to find one. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, you want to talk about your choice? Sure. So when I think about music that is Americana to me, which might be different from American, um, th there is a sense of you mentioned Copeland a few week, a few few minutes ago, a few weeks ago, probably too. <laughs> um, there, you know, the, these, um, the Copeland sound has a lot of very open and, and cozy harmonies. And it, it is emblematic of this sort of, um, sound world that I, I associate with the American landscape. You called it American West. You think about those, those great photographs by Ansel Adams or even Ed Weston. And there is music that, that makes me think of those images. And, and you think about Nadia Boulanger. She was a, a wonderful instructor of American composers and, and performers, Copeland being one of them. But uh, you also had people like David Diamond and uh, Roy Harris and Virgil Thompson. And uh, Thompson wrote his first symphony, uh, which is, I call it the hymn symphony. I think it's officially symphony on a hymn tune. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that, that kind of speaks to this idea of Dvorak using, um, 
spiritual, looking for the folk music, and thinking about this Americana music, you have um, you have a lot of hymns. You have a lot of Protestant hymns making their way into music, and and that continues. You know, uh, festivals, summer festivals, and Chautauquas, and and academic uh, orchestras and choirs and churches are still doing a lot of this music written from the 1920s through the 1960s, which were very hymn focused. So that's why I went back to this this symphony, and the Allegretto movement, I think it's the third movement of the symphony. Um, normally when you think about an allegretto, you think about, um, you know, Beethoven's seventh has this famous one. These are typically the slow movements. Uh, but for Virgil Thompson's symphony, this ends up becoming um, quite a bit more than that. So music of uh, Virgil Thompson there from Zach Vassar. And now we turn to uh, conductor Alain Trudel, who, when I put out the feelers for this uh, project, came back with four different excerpts. You <laughs> said that American music was perhaps complex in the way that you think of it. Well, it's uh, to me, I mean, I, again, you said I'm looking outside in, right? From right, the outside in. Right. And uh, with great admiration, actually, is is that the the complexity uh, of this you know finding liberty and uh, you know realizing yourself it's uh, and breaking from other tradition of finding your own and having the the guts to do it you know not not relying on other culture but really taking your own is is something that's quite admirable and for me it takes a few i i kind of decompose the dna a little bit in my head to to be able to have an answer yeah, and it's uh, and to give you like something that's you know remotely intelligent, I I, I have four little elements that I want to talk about. Um, first of all, yes, I did put some Copeland <laughs> in it, and I what I chose from Copeland was "Simple Gifts" and not the 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 song, the instrumental version. Exactly for the same reason my colleagues talked about, you know, the sense of of space. Yes, but for me, it's more sense of liberty. Uh, to take the liberty in the music, you know, all these, you know, before Copeland and let's say Debussy and Copeland, uh, all those consecutive open fifths. I mean, it's very technical, but all of this means the, the picture that it made. You need to be able to look at, uh, you know, an, an incredibly open space, open with space, but with opportunity. And it's a great sense of discovery that goes with it. And it's just open, simple song. The confidence of being simple and that, and that's very difficult to do. You know, you have to yeah. have great confidence in yourself. So the, and, and Copeland, I have that, like the liberty, this, the sense of discovery, uh, sense of confidence and humility in that. Yeah. Let's listen just for a moment. This is, uh, simple gifts. Oh, if life were only that simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was fascinated with your second selection yeah. because yeah. it not only features the the music by this composer, it features the actual composer himself uh, talking. I know. And, you know, we, we get all excited when we can hear about the composer and composer. Talk. If I can just touch about, upon a little thing, uh, you know, that in the ballet, the um, um, Appalachian Spring, where yeah. Simple Gifts comes from, Simple Gifts comes at the end after they've gone through all the complications, right? 
So, you know, it's the, it's the gift to know where you ought to be. Right. And it takes, actually, it takes you through the complexity to find simplicity. And that's, that's something Copeland went through. I mean, you know, at, at this time, he would write music and, and Europe, they say, well, uh, you know, you're a baby composer or what? You know, <laughs> yeah. but no, it's the, it's really something, you know, you go through all of this to finally find the answer. It's like when you're looking at Mozart on the paper, you say, well, there's no sharp, no flat. It's, you know, I could have written this, but you didn't. You know, <laughs> so, that's why there's one Mozart and one Copeland. Yeah. Um, the, the next one I have is, uh, of course, I'm a wind player. I play the trombone. And uh, the great tradition of wind uh, playing in the United States and uh, also my country in Canada, but a lot of the the great works were actually premiered here or brought from Europe by wind instruments. You know, Tchaikovsky symphonies were transcribed for wind and they toured the the entire country with that. And also the wind instrument also represents the, um, the instrument that anybody can play or can afford. And it, again, yeah. it's the sense of a, a certain kind of liberty. You have the liberty that you can actually make music by playing a wind instrument because string takes, you know, uh, absolutely a two uh, professor, <laughs> you know, and, you know, it's complicated a little bit. You have to find an instrument and it's more expensive. It's, uh, it shows it's another kind of standing a little bit, but the wind instruments, uh, were like, that's one of the reasons I started on one instrument because it was available. And to make this music available and to share it mm-hmm. is another great value that you have. And you add to that. Uh, patriotism, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you get what we're going to listen to. <laughs> this is John Philip Sousa, and I'm very glad to be here with my band representing my own country, America, on this international program. When the Bond Bakers asked me to transcribe my voice and my band for this unique occasion, I was greatly honored because I realized, as Mr. Taylor has said, that some of the finest bands in the world have been engaged to play for you. I hope, however, that you will enjoy hearing me again as much as I always enjoy playing for you. I've been asked to begin with a march that is an old favorite of mine. Maybe you will recognize it. It's a pretty good band, isn't it? You know, you could challenge any band to play in tune like that, to play with spirit, of course, like that. Yeah. There's tremendous spirit in that. But if you, you know, when you listen a little bit more, even the low brass they played, the, the time, the virtuosity, and the discipline. I mean, it's uh, this band is made out of people that want to play as a team, mm-hmm. that want to yeah. play together. And with the, they all share their talent in this. And you have some of the most talented people in there, like one of my great idols, uh, uh, Arthur Pryor was the trombone player in that band. I wasn't in it by that's 1929, but he wasn't in it anymore by that time. But he was the one recording artist, the first recording artist uh, in the in the United States, making records every week. You know, the, yeah, a great discipline, great organization. At the same time, great spirit. Yeah. Well, nothing says you know American patriotism like John Philip Sousa. Mm. It's so interesting to hear his speaking voice. Yes, right I don't there. think I've ever heard it. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah. It's very interesting because you you hear the humility in it also. Yeah. You know? And it's, we should never forget that, that the great heroes are humble people usually. You have uh, – your next selection is uh, something entirely different, as Monty Python <laughs> yeah, might exactly. say. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you introduce that for us? Well, one of the highest art form that you can have in music is uh, their heart, art songs, huh? right? Um, the lead. And uh, for me, the American songs – 
come from not not the classical world, but they come from the the great, the, per, perhaps the greatest col, uh, contribution to mankind's culture that that anyway, to my to my opinion, that, that we have here is jazz. Yeah. And uh, if you take, for example, one of my greatest you know, favorite songs is "Round Midnight." And you know, you hear it begins to tell around midnight. I do pretty well until sundown, supper time, and getting sad. I mean, they, these are real deep world to to this sound. And of course, I've put some of my favorite artists in it. Yeah, it's it's not the vocal part again, but it's I want to put John Coltrane somewhere because he's one of my favorite musicians. So there's Miles Davis quintet with John Coltrane. Yeah, feel free to sing along. <laughs> <laughs> What is, a, what is it about Coltrane and, and Davis that you love so much? Well, it's kind of a, a, a trio of great creators. Because you have Thelonious Monk, of course, right. the, the composer, who actually, when you listen to uh, composers nowadays, they, they steal all the time from, from those jazz musicians. You know, like uh, the, the way we bring, sorry, it's very technical, but the way we bring like a sharp 11 and something, you have a, a sound that's particular in Mahler, but everything that's more modern comes, those seconds, that uh, comes from Thelonious Monk almost. And I think also it's this way of taking, um, it's everything that I find amazing in the, um, American culture. There's the first person poetry, you know? Yeah. I would like to call it like that musically, is that, you know, you take the theme and you build your own next to it by improvising on it, right? But you have to respect the general rules of everybody, but you can be yourself. You can improvise something like Miles is doing right now. He's playing around the theme. So it's his version. It's his individuality, but within the the realm of what everybody agreed that the song is. Yeah. And of course, for me, Coltrane is just as personification of a genius. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Well, let's move on to your last excerpt because, okay. again, uh, all of these selections very different from each other, very eclectic, showing yeah. different sides of perhaps the American musical tradition and now you're focusing on something that's fairly recent just yeah. came out in the last several years yeah uh, so um of course you cannot go uh and talking about american music without talking about the, the great minimalist uh, we added some steve reich and yeah. going i i think one of the great uh use that uh, they made of their music is to have it in the operas and operas telling stories of of our you know contemporary world and there's one opera by john adams uh, john adams great great <coughs> composer and this one opera and then people talk about nixon in china as you know it's yeah. most famous but i like dr atomic a lot uh it's very worrisome it, it talks about uh things that we that we have to live with you know uh things we um things we have to own you know in our cultural and uh common history and also musically, it, it has this minimalist um, writing, but with tremendous emotion. That sometimes people just see minimalist as a technique. Uh, yes, there's a technique of writing. It's like if you think of Wojciech by Alban Berg, you say, yeah, it's uh, Dodecafonic. No, but it's so much that as you hear the D minor in it, you know, it's it. Yeah. But in, in this, in this excerpt, um, Batter My Heart, um, from Dr. Atomic, you, this is to the service of the emotion and of the message, and it's a way not to forget, like in uh, different trains, you know? 
a way of not forgetting our contemporary history. Yeah, this is uh, the character of J. Robert Oppenheimer. He's quoting <coughs> one of the holy sonnets of John Donne here, the English poet from the 1600s. We'll listen to just a, a little bit of it here. Yeah, so music of John Adams there from uh, Dr. Atomic, Gerald Finley, uh, performing that aria, Battle My Heart, Batter My Heart, actually, uh, from the poetry of John Donne. And uh, that's one of the selections of Elaine Trudeau, of uh, American music. <laughs> and as I mentioned to you while we were listening to that, uh, I chose the other opera of which John Which is a Adams. great opera, too. Yeah. yeah, Nixon in China, which I think of as sort of the quintessential opera. But it's funny how it's even almost a little bit dated now, you know, having been written in the 1980s. There was a, a lot of attention given to it at the time because it was something novel. And now we look at it and we're like, eh. You know, but I still think that it, it is representative of uh, the minimalist school, you know, a wonderful representation of that. So I'm going to make us just listen to a, a little bit of it right here and get an idea of how it sounds perhaps a little different from uh, Dr. Atomic. Use. Use. Right? Use. This is Richard Nixon Use. singing. Now, people hear that, and they, they hear those ornamentations, and they think, oh, that's a little weird, it's a little effective, but it, it's right square in the tradition of operatic singing. Absolutely, right? with, absolutely. With those kinds of uh, little ornamentations going on, and the repeating of the words. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear that all the time in Italian opera and bel canto opera. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it, it fits squarely in the tradition of the European tradition, yet... It's been given that sort of American, you know, American theme. There's a great quote from uh, the conductor Marin Alsop talking about American music where she says she thinks that a lot of American music sounds boisterous and not always refined. <laughs> and so if you put if you put it in context, she's talking about if you take like a, a piece of American music against a piece of European music, mm. you should be able to pick out the American piece, mm. right? Now, the other choice that I had actually uh, was something that uh, Merwin touched on, and that is from a composer, Michael Dougherty, who has done yeah. so many uh, pieces that have this, these American icon-type themes. And, oh, that's not it. Hang on. <laughs> I think there's a cab in New York looking for its horn. Maybe. Let's see if this is it. Yeah, this is actually it. You see if you can figure out what this is. Huh. I don't. As El, have you seen Elvis? Dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know this do, piece. Yeah. I, I, we, just did. we did this last year. <laughs> oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm little, a promo player. I know it. Dead, <laughs> little dead flash Elvis. mobs. Yeah. Called Dead Elvis. 
Yeah. And the bassoonist always dresses up as Elvis. As, as did our Casey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What I love about this piece is it takes that Elvis song, It's Now or Never, which is also O Sole Mio, and juxtaposes it against the, the Dies Irae theme. That da, 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 da. So it becomes, uh, you know, a requiem for Elvis. Yeah. What could be more American than, than Elvis? So that's, that's my example there for what it's worth. Baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Elvis, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But apple, high, apple pie, symphony. <laughs> We're doing this. We're we're like we're seeing the minutes go by, and we're, I'm thinking of all the things we didn't cover. We didn't it's think like, about yeah. it. Yeah, and like, this is your chance. I, what did we not cover? I, we don't have John Williams on mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Superman theme should that that's just that left to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, and Leonard then we were, Bernstein. We were talking about Duke. <laughs> Al- oh, we were talking about Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. Not fair. Duke Ellington's mm-hmm. like you know. Yeah. I, I mean. We're doing Duke Ellington's Harlem uh, in a few months. That that leapt to mind is something that we absolutely we we didn't talk about. Yeah. I mean, uh, me, we did an entire Ameri- American um, podcast without mentioning Charles Ives. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just well, it's, impossible. it's not necessarily yeah, and that, and that's why it was I, conceptual though. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just mentioned him, so it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Right? I think that, that checks the box. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's an impossible uh, task to try yeah. to fill there. And I think that says something about the nature of America in general, that we have the, this huge, huge legacy of music and musicians. Uh, before we wrap it up, let me just ask, uh, when we first started out um, talking about this episode and people were sharing ideas, somebody wrote down uh, on our on our shared uh, Google Drive to talk about that damn bird. I quote, that damn bird. <laughs> Charlie Parker? And <laughs> yeah. A different kind of bird. And I yeah. had to do like a little research to figure out what this was about. And evidently Dvorak had a bird, mm-hmm. right? Zach, you want to tell us a story? Well, it's funny. This comes uh, came to me after we did the American Quartet at the end of last season on the Chamber series, and one of our wonderful supporters and trustees, uh, John Orser, sent me an article about "Damn That Bird." <sighs> and um, if I if I think of the story correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, is that he had a bird that he would try to either uh, transcribe its its whistles, or his whistles would would get in his head and and disrupt his his composition. Yeah. There was, it was something about he heard this bird and it was annoying to him. So yeah. he wrote it down in his book and he later incorporated it into the first violin of, <laughs> in his uh, American string quartet. That's a string quartet they wrote at the same time that he did this New World Symphony. He was out in Spillville, Iowa, in that Czech community there having a wonderful time. Wrote this thing in three days, but he used the, the warble of that bird and I can't remember exactly – um, what kind of bird is it? Oh, a scarlet, scarlet tanager, yeah. right? A scarlet <laughs> tanager. You want to hear what it sounds like? Yeah. I've added it to the soundboard. So tell com- me if this is annoying or not. Can you combine it with the trombone? I can try. <laughs> so one which one is things, more annoying? Yeah. <laughs> the trombone or the bird? What, one of these things was a bird. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, though, because, um, you know, as much as Dvorak was here to write the American sound, you know, he, like many composers, was influenced by, by nature. Mm-hmm. And our nature sounded different to him than his nature. And, uh, you know, that, that, that also speaks to the unique characteristic, not only of our countryside, but of our, our physical nature. Yeah. 
Well, that's about all the time that we have. Uh, we do want to mention again that the New World Symphony will be performed this weekend. It's two concerts, both at the Toledo Museum of Art Paris style. Also in that concert, star violinist Rachel Barton Pine performing the Brahms Concerto. And uh, that's at 8 o'clock both nights. More info at toledosymphony.com or 419-246-8000. Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org. We're also available on Apple Music. We want to hear from you. Give us a call and leave your comments or your questions at 419-418-0012. We may use your voice in a future episode, so please don't be shy. Give us a call. Again, the number is 419-418-0012. And remember, you can check out all upcoming events at the Toledo Symphony by visiting their website. It's toledosymphony.com and through their various social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My thanks to our panelists, Zach Vasser, Merwin Sue, also to Alain Trudel. And uh, I'm Brad Creswell. This has been Toledo Symphony Lab here on FM 91.